Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. What a celebration. Wow. I want you to, I want you to think back to what preceded the first celebration, the first Easter. You mean like Good Friday? No, further back than that. Palm Sunday, entering Jerusalem, further, further back than that. Judas's betrayal, Jesus ticking off the religious leaders, drawing crowds with his teachings and his, his miracles, further back, calming the storm, cleansing the demon-possessed, teaching the scriptures, let's, let's keep going, born to a virgin mother, who doesn't like a little Christmas in April, right? Good news proclaimed to some shepherds fleeing the murderous threats and efforts of King Herod. Keep going. Prophecies that promise the messianic plan of God to be patiently played out. Priests and judges and kings that were intended to lead people away from worldliness and towards the heart of God. Let's go back just a little bit more. Back to the garden. And the creation of a world in a much, much, much larger cosmos, let alone a spiritual realm. And with all of that portraying the goodness and the adventure and the humor and the fun and the love of God to people. And of course, it all got spoiled all the way back then, didn't it? It all got spoiled because if you know the story with Adam and Eve, they had every good thing perfect establishment of relationship with God, with one another, and with creation. But of course, they had the one thing that unites all of us, that we all have in common, in sin. I will choose to go my own way. I'll call the shots. And with that, with the fall of humanity and corresponding creation, it wasn't just the mere consequences of a mild teenage-like rebellion. Sorry, teenagers, I just can relate to that kind of rebellion all too well. Sin was a cancer. Sin would have ramifications over the whole creation and blind us into thinking that nothing good can ever be possible again. Not anymore. It's ruined. Oh, but it's not. We just have to know where to look. This morning is far from despair. And if you were with us on Good Friday, you know that even then, even with that great thud of the closing of the tomb, even then, that was not the end of the story. But that's just it. That despair happened. Sin happened. And really bad stuff happened and still happens in a fallen world and to imperfect people that still choose to go our own way and call our own shots and not follow the creator's good intention and design for us. And man, if you were with us on Good Friday, you know that there was a profound thud, a blinding sorrow that Jesus' disciples faced when it seemed like nothing could ever be good again. 
Because here's the point of saying all this, this this kind of run up to the resurrection. That's what sin and its consequences do. Sin and its consequences blind us into thinking that we can't go back, that nothing right again is possible. Even the work of a redemptive, loving God can't possibly turn what I'm facing around. And please, please don't think that that kind of spiritual or circumstantial blindness doesn't apply to believers or pastors or even heroes of the faith. If you ever want a Bible story that has adventure and excitement and danger just written all over it, go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And I I wish I could take the time that this story really deserves, but, but you've got Bibles or you can grab Bibles on your way out and definitely check it out, 1 Kings 18 and 19. But I've got to summarize it in order to do it justice here. You got a guy named Elijah a mighty prophet of God. And he comes in this pressure-packed confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And Elijah challenges the people that there is only one God, only one true power. And he's going to show up and he's going to prove it. So picture him, Elijah, one of him, 450 of them. Okay, it's just crazy to picture this. And they get into this challenge where it's kind of like, whoever can, whoever's God, whoever's power can light this wood on fire without the working of man, that person's God proves themselves to be God. So first up, prophets of Baal. And with all kinds of cries of desperation, all 450 of them, self-mutilation going on for hours and hours and hours, they cry out to their God only, of course, for nothing to happen. <laughs> and I can't share this story and not share with you the smack talk that Elijah gives back to them. <laughs> he says, hey, why don't you guys cry a little louder to your God? Or maybe he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's sleeping. Or maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> but no one answered. Of course, there's no one there to answer. So then, of course, Elijah steps up and calls on the Lord, not just one of many or, or his favorite or the God that he can even control, but he calls upon the God that he knows and the God that has made himself known to Elijah and says this, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are God and you are turning their hearts back. Elijah's not trying to win. Elijah's trying to call upon God to do what God does. Show yourself to these people and show them your heart that you desire them to turn back to you. And as the fire of the Lord fell, consuming the offering, all the people fell on their faces and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And actually, here's a cool side note there. That's actually the the meaning of the name Elijah. So as they're crying out, yeah, Elijah, Elijah, crying out his name means the Lord, he is God. What a spiritual high Elijah must have been on, right? 
What a win. What a victory. Guys that experience that, people that experience the power of the Lord coming down in such a miraculous way at my calling upon him, they don't struggle with spiritual blindness. They don't struggle with doubt, right? Elijah had firsthand experience of calling upon the Lord and surely nothing could stand in his way or distract him or make him spiritually blind. And ultimately, uh, what God had done through his servant Elijah, word spreads of this and it reaches a wicked leader named Jezebel. And Jezebel is an enemy of Elijah and the people of Yahweh. And so she writes back, she writes to Elijah, sends him a message and says, by this time tomorrow, I will find you and kill you. You got to think with all Elijah has just experienced, that's not going to threaten him, right? He just called upon the name and the power and the fire of the Lord, but that's all it took. The very real threat of Jezebel. Jezebel wasn't kidding and she had the ability to make good on her threat. And in chapter 19, verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life and hid under a big tree. And he called upon the Lord. You're going, oh, here it is. Not for the power or protection of the Lord, but for the Lord to take his life. It's over, God. Story's over. Just like that. Even spiritual heroes just like that who have firsthand witnessed the awesome power of God, like Elijah and like the followers of Jesus. They have firsthand seen who God is, what he is like, and what God has done. But just like that, despair can creep in and spiritually blind them, thinking things can't possibly turn around. The story's over. And I don't doubt for a second that that's where our ancestors in faith found themselves just hours after the crucifixion. Until Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So like flowers placed at a graveside, these women come to respect and and make beautiful the site of Jesus' burial. They, They brought spices to help kind of mask any stench that would be coming from the tomb, preparing the place to be a place of gathering for others. And as they set about their solemn work, on that day, their their primary concern, their primary issue was what? The tombstone. The tombstone. Who will roll that away for us? That wretched tombstone that had closed up 
Jesus' crucified body and served as that definitive, horrible thud. The story's over. He's dead. And that very same tombstone, as they approached the tomb, had been rolled back. So what had been their most immediate, most pressing concern is no longer an obstacle. In an instant, that tombstone, most importantly, no longer definitively closes the tomb. And the women can enter. And this welcomer in the tomb invites them, come in. Come and see this new thing that the Lord has done. Come and get your first taste of game-changing hope. Okay, it's the most pressure-packed, significant development in the history of the world. It's the basis that we have this morning, joining with thousands of other churches and, and billions of other saints across the life of the church. And the greatness of, of the resurrection power, the greatness of the celebration that we have, is that it is not just a one-time thing we're reflecting on that happened 2,000 years ago. It was great. It was eternity-changing. It was game-changing. But it is also the thing, that the climactic point that takes everything, all of the disciple calling and demon cleansing and disease healing and paralytic raising and crowd feeding, parable teaching, storm calming, water walking, blind seeing, child gathering, temple clearing, and cross bearing that Jesus had taken and puts a big exclamation point over it all, saying, yes, he did. He did all of that. He is the resurrected king. He is who he said he was. And he is still alive. He is risen and he's still working. That's what we're going to continue to hit hard as, as we go through this service. He did what he did and he continues to. I love what I get to do this morning. I love being the sharer of good news, don't you? You ever been able to share with someone some really good news? Like, mom, dad, you're going to be grandparents. Or, congratulations, you've got the job. Or, ma'am, your cancer seems to be gone. Or, your legacy as a teacher, as a healthcare worker, a mentor, a neighbor, a friend has changed my life. Have you ever been able to, to be the bearer of really good news? That's why I love this, this part in the story that there's this guy sitting in the empty tomb dressed in white. That'd be an angel of the Lord for context. And he gets the job, the privilege of being able to be the first one to break the game-changing news. At some point, the Lord went to this angel and said, I want you to wait at the empty tomb. And you're going to see a couple of women coming to you in their sorrow and in their despair and in their fear. And you're going to be able to meet them with this game-changing news. Oh, and, and one more thing. This is really important. Make sure when you tell them the good news to tell it specifically to the disciples and specifically to Peter. Verse seven, go tell his disciples and Peter. 
Things are going to start playing backwards now, changing everything, starting with him. See, these women undoubtedly woke up that morning with a rough start. If you're in a season of despair, you don't ever wake up thinking that game-changing possibilities are awaiting you. And Peter's in that same kind of despair, except Peter not only has to deal with what they had just done to Jesus, scenes playing over and over and over in his mind, and that definitive sorrowful thud of the tomb closing, he had to replay in his mind each of the times, three times, that he had denied knowing Jesus in his hour of need. And Peter needed to be reassured that you are not defined by your worst moment. Peter needed to be reassured that that he was not disqualified or excluded. The good news that Peter needed that these women received from the angel, it wasn't just buck up, cheer up, get on with your life. No, they didn't just have to allow all that stuff to to go away. Good Friday didn't just go away. They needed to know that starting now, the work of God is going to work backwards over everything, making possible what you thought impossible, bringing life to what was dead, redeeming people like you, Peter. The resurrected king is going to resurrect you and redeem you. Starting today. I want you to catch this. I want you not to miss this because this is important and and relevant for us even 2,000 years later. The very same place that had been the site of despair and the definitive end in the tomb was the very same place that God met his people with game-changing hope. In fact, all the way to the point that if a person really believes this, like really believes that Jesus is the resurrected king and he continues to work his resurrection power in our lives, it changes you. It has to. You can't actually believe this and not be changed. For those of us that know Jesus and know the resurrection power of God in our life, listen to the realness of our celebration this morning. And it's not just from me. And it's not just from our worship team. I want to invite up a friend who has a story to share. A story of her point of the resurrection power of God meeting her where everything else would say, it's over. You're defined by what's been done or what's been done to you. And yet the resurrection power of God said, not so fast. Janine. Happy Easter, church family. My name is Janine. Timberline Windsor is my home church, and I stand here to tell you the truth, to be vulnerable, to shine light into darkness, and to be obedient to God. In this, it's not to gain anything, but to tell you that I'm broken and I'm on this journey with you. This is my resurrection, um, embedded shame and guilt caused by sexual abuse as a young girl, and my reset was in my baptism. This was with me for 48 years. In this shame and guilt, I hurt myself, I wounded other people, and I kept God at a distance, not to be trusted nor to accept his love. 
very much jaded my view of God. In my baptism in October, I cried out, I pleaded, I asked God for a reset in my brain. Childhood trauma affects the developing brain, and it started then and it was finished when I worked to forgiveness. However, in those moments, I struggled. I wanted to keep it. It had become such a part of me, embedded roots that were deep, like a body part. God did it. He answered my prayer, and we celebrate today Jesus on a cross, in a grave, and the stone rolled away. And he is here. He's alive. He's caring, and he's working. Some scriptures along the way that God um, encouraged me with. Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. And I just want you to know that I'm on this journey with you. I'm with each of you, all of you. My story is used to save lives. I'm a conduit for God. I want to be in the trenches with anyone who may need this, Thus, I am here to be with you, for you, to pray with you, pointing you to God, giving you resources. God also encouraged me with 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Jesus has shown me that he is a miraculous healer and he is still he's healing today. And thank you all for making this my home and being my family. Amen. That's, that's a part of this message that God wrote, not me. And there are so many more that we're going to continue to share before this service is over. So many more that have, this was my resurrection to share. But before we get to that celebration, I need to ask, what tombstones need to be rolled to the side for you by the resurrection power of God? Think about what maybe some of you woke up this morning and there's just simply no going back. You can't undo what's been done to you or what you've done. The most immediate concern, the tombstone that's right in front of you, I can't do anything unless that's rolled away and it's impossible for that to happen. And God meets you right at that very spot. And the word of God, the timeless word of God proclaims, John 20, 27, in this world, yes, you will have struggle, but it's not the end of the story. I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 28, and all things, yes, all things, somehow, some way, work together for the good to those that love God. Matthew 19, 26, with man, these things are, don't just seem impossible, they are impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. Jeremiah 29, 11, trust me, I have plans for you. My plans for you are to give you a hope and a future. 
You need to know there is not a promise in here that says believers are exempt from suffering. There's not a promise in here that says all of those memories, all of the pain that you're facing, the stuff that made you circumstantially or spiritually blind is going to just go away. Good Friday didn't just go away. But there is a promise here, a certainty of hope that God redeems all things with his game-changing resurrection power. We've spent an entire series leading up to this point looking at the resurrection power of God. And we've learned through our study that, that it may not come as we want it or expect it, as was the case with Judas and with Peter and with Mary. It may not always be immediate like Thomas's lingering doubt and skepticism. It may not always come as you might want it, like, like Peter with the breakfast of fish by the fire. But one thing is for certain. Jesus did it. He is risen. He is alive. He is the resurrected king. Our great hope, our sympathetic high priest interceding for us in the very presence of the Father. He is risen. And ever since that morning at the tombstone, he's in the business of bringing that resurrection power into our lives in a very personal, as you heard with Janine, as you will hear with other testimonies, a very practical way. And ever since the morning of the tombstone, it's been lives, lives like your lives, that most personally show this to us. All month, we've been leading up to this with Janine held up a sign that said, this was my resurrection in a blank. And we've been challenging and inviting people, where did the resurrection power, the game-changing power of God meet you? And as you're going to see during this next song, we're not going to have lyrics on the screens. We're going to have some of your testimony points. Some of them not with people in the picture because it's, it's too raw. Some of them with people in the picture. But it doesn't matter. These are stories, testimony points that the resurrection power of God came and changed everything in your lives. Not just 2,000 years ago, but still happening. And then we've got the exclamation point of this message, the exclamation point of this whole service in baptisms. These are people that are declaring, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I believe he is, I know he is the resurrected king who is working and resurrecting me. That that God that did what he did 2,000 years ago is still at work. This is his work. This is his message that we get to celebrate together. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.